So um, we're doing uh, our Bible Institute now on Wednesday nights. And uh, um, Bible Institute, let's see, 598 students as of uh, this morning. So almost 600. That's pretty cool. All over the world. And um, it's kind of a neat ministry to watch happen. Uh, 104 courses are available online. They're all free. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, or you can just hang out and take classes. Um, it's all good, and we thought we would do some of those this year uh, here on Wednesday nights. And we're doing a course right now called um, Creative Bible Study Methods. It's actually a course from one of the one of the people we get curriculum from, Harvest Time. Very good course. Uh, and uh, we're, we're sort of winding it down. We'll probably finish it up today. And we've been talking about how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to do all sorts of studies, you know, word studies and paragraph studies and book studies and, and uh, topical studies and, and, you know, biographical studies and you name it, um, all in the hopes of encouraging you to uh, plug in and read and study and enjoy your Bible. That, that you know, it's a, it should be something that we look forward to and treasure. And I just, uh, I always feel like somehow the enemy has gotten his way in there and it becomes a chore to so many people that um, they miss all the amazing stuff that's going on. And it's just that it's, you know, books alive because of the Spirit of God and the way he illuminates things. And, and there's nothing like it. And God just continually shows his stuff in there uh, that, you know, it's fascinating. And and so the, the more you read it, sort of the, the more depth it has. And, um, and so, you know, I, I'm continually trying to encourage you to do that and hopefully helping you uh, with a story. We're going to start a brand new series uh, this week on the weekend that I'm calling Here's the Thing. And uh, I love that title because I can then preach on whatever. <laughs> but still, it's a great title. And uh, it'll have it'll all be relevant when you go in there. But but we're going to be looking at some neat stuff in, in the Gospel of Mark this week. And it's fascinating to read it as, you know, and as I study and prepare and the stuff that pops out and the amazing things that are in there and things that we've read that we really didn't get sort of the Spirit of God illuminates over time. So um, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about, um, you know, studying biblical prophecy and why that's important and, and uh, you know, what a, what a neat adventure that is. Uh, you know, held in balance, you, you, you know, sometimes uh, like anything, we can take things to an extreme, but... Um, just reading and understanding and looking at the prophets and the things in Scripture. And uh, we spent the last couple of weeks sort of having some fun. We talked about the prophetic nature of the feast that Israel celebrated uh, last week. And then the week before, we actually looked at a prophecy from the book of Daniel and talked about, you know, the possibilities of him actually dating to the day when Messiah came. And we looked at, um, you know, one possible outcome that made that happen from 538 years um, before the event. So, um, pretty fascinating stuff that's going on. So, um, so, you know, as we sort of wrap up, I wanted to give you some reasons and, and just talk about studying prophecy a little bit more and maybe give you a few more tools um, uh, about why. So, there's some reasons why it's important to study prophecy, uh, and I think you have a list there. Um, first is that all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable, profitable for study. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So um, along with all the rest of the Scripture, we should be looking at and engaging in the, the prophetic side 
uh, the Bible. Uh, secondly, prophecy brings understanding of past, present, and future events in the plan of God. Uh, Revelation 1.19, right there for what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And that's uh, you know, John is writing there. God's telling him to write. Um, Jesus is telling him to write these things and how they're going to happen. And so when we read the prophetic books, we, we get a good understanding of things that, like, like they said, that have happened, that we know are historical facts. Things that are happening now, according to that, and things that can happen um, in the future, in the future plan of God. And um, thirdly, understanding God's plans that way prevents deception by the evil one. Uh, Matthew 24, 23 through 26. At that time, if anyone says, uh, says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So um, because we know how things are going to happen, um, you know, with um, the return of the Messiah and things that are going to take place and events that need to happen before that happens, um, it keeps us from being deceived by the enemy. He would love to deceive us and, and uh, um, you know, constantly is working on that. But because of the Word of God, we know the plan of God and, you know, we, we can, you know, weigh everything against the Scripture. And so we can know um, what he's into and what he's not. So, we've talked about um, some of the various prophetic books uh, as we've been going. But in addition to the books of prophecy, uh, there's also lots of other chapters and verses of prophecy that are scattered throughout the Word of God. Um, the very first prophecy recorded in the Bible, um, some of my longtime Bible students, you should know this one, is in Genesis chapter 3, verse... 15, I heard it. Very good. I'm so happy. Genesis 3.15. Oh, it's on there, isn't it? So uh, there you go. Well, I was really impressed for a minute until I realized I'd put it in the notes. But here's, here's for extra points. What do I always call Genesis 3.15, the beginning of? What? The crimson thread of redemption? Is somebody saying that? Very good. That's what it is. Okay. Good. I don't hear very well, but that's it. The crimson thread of redemption. From that verse forward, if you're paying attention, you can see the how God is making redemption possible, and you can watch the enemy attack it all the way along, and how many different times he tries to shut it down. From big uprisings to trying to kill off entire family lines to doing all sorts of things, but the uh, God protects this crimson thread of redemption Throughout Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And that verse is right after the fall, and it prophesies the coming of Jesus, who through the death of his sin for man would crush the enemy, the evil one. Now, um, it's not possible to list, um, you know, all, this, all of the places where, well, at least not in my little study. I'm sure it's listed somewhere. But... Um, you need to be aware of the fact that there are prophecies throughout the entire Bible. And so it's not just confined to the books known as the books of prophecy. Um, and so as you continue to press in and read and look for those things, you will see where um, there are some these things happening throughout the Bible and what's going to take place. And we've, you know, we examined already, you know, types of things and 
we've done quite a bit of that. I remember a few weeks ago we even looked at, you know, Joseph as a type and, and uh, what that meant as a type of Christ and the, the parallels between his life and things that were happening. All right. So there are some keys to help you understand and interpret uh, Bible prophecy. Um, and so one of them is that there, there is a basic theme of prophecy. And the basic theme of all Bible prophecy is Jesus. So there's lots of other subjects, but, um, you know, so there's prophecies of judgment of wicked nations by God. But the underlying theme of all the biblical prophecies is that they somehow relate to Jesus and the purpose of God regarding him. So, so that's always going on. Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he promised in Christ, to be put into effect when the time will have reached your fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So, so all biblical prophecy, in some, in some manner, um, even when it deals with subjects such as judgments upon nations, relates to the overall plan of God. And the overall plan is to bring all mankind, to make a way for mankind to come into right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to gather in one all things in Christ. The Bible also states that um, the spirit or the theme of Bible prophecy is Jesus. In Revelation 19.10, that verse at the end of it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, um, so when you're looking at biblical prophecy, you should always be thinking to yourself, how does this prophecy relate to Jesus? And, and God's overall plan concerning it. And, and so it just kind of helps you sort of get fixed on things. When, when people get way outside of that, then other weird things can start to happen. So that's one. Two, um, the Bible um, is the best interpreter of itself. The Bible is always the, the best interpreter of itself. And so um, the Bible actually often explains its own prophecy. Um, and so if, if you get a chance, you know, the way you can do that uh, this week, you can see that, is read Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel chapter 2, um, Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream from God, but when he wakes up, he can't remember the dream. Anybody ever have that happen? And, and then he calls upon the astrologers and magicians. <laughs> it's a pretty tough task, really, <laughs> to not only remember the dream, but to tell him what it meant. That's the task, because he had a dream, and he knows he had a dream, but he can't remember it. And he says to the fake guys, tell me what it was, and they can't do it, obviously. But Daniel can, because Daniel's a true prophet from God. And, and so Daniel re revisits a dream for him and then tells him what it's going to mean. Uh, in verses 31 uh, through 35, he tells him the dream, and then he, he interprets it in verses 36 through 45. So... Um, that's just one example of how oftentimes in the Bible it will, uh, the Bible will interpret its own prophetic stuff. Also, the New Testament interprets many of the prophecies of the Old Testament because much of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. And uh, here's an example. Um, Hosea 2.23. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, uh, you are my people, and they will say you are my God. And uh, the Apostle Paul interprets that in uh, Romans 9, 24 through 26. Even us, whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one, and it will happen 
that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. So there we see uh, the, you know, the prophecy uh, from Hosea talking about the inclusion of um, people into this whole process that I'm, of, from the Jewish nation to Gentile. And then Paul says, look, that's what's going on now. It's being fulfilled. Um, and also, um, fulfilled prophecy in the New Testament includes many Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, Jesus. So throughout the Old Testament, there are prophetic things about the Messiah coming, and Jesus fulfilled so many of them, it's, it's amazing. And uh, his, just the way he showed up, and the way he was born, and uh, where he was, and how he lived, and there's so many, he, he, um, he fulfills so many of them, there's no way you could put yourself in a place to make one up. Um, so it's been in the, the astro- it's just astronomical, the, the percentages of how we know he's the one who uh, was to do that. Also, another thing, uh, understanding biblical prophecy is um, there's a thing called double reference that sometimes is uh, something that needs to be in place. And, and so um, it's a rule for interpreting Bible prophecy that, that in some instances there's an immediate fulfillment and, and it's uh, as a means of teaching a deeper truth or a, um, a further um, fulfillment of an event further in the future. And that happens quite often uh, in the Bible. Um, when a prophecy was given, there was an immediate fulfillment, but there's also a future one. It builds off of that. So um, so it applied not only to the event that it was fulfilled immediately, but also to a second fulfillment further on in the future. Uh, and so we see those things happening. They have double reference. Um, one example, there's a prophecy given in Ezekiel 28. And it's addressed to the then king of Tyre. And in the beginning, the first 11 verses, that God was directly addressing the king of Tyre, um, um, because the king of Tyre boasted he was a god. Uh, and the true god declared that he would die and be thrown in down into a pit in verse 8. But then in verse 12, it changes. Uh, and even though they're still talking to the king of Dyer, Dyer, Tyre, um, now they're, they've broadened it, and it's actually an address to the evil one, to uh, Satan. Um, in verse 12 to 14, it says, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you, adorned you, ruby, topaz, um, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stone. So clearly the king of Tyre was never an anointed cherub uh, in Eden. And so there's a double reference there. There's something that's going on that has an immediate thing in the boast that this evil king makes. Uh, and then there's sort of this flashback to um, what happens in the fall of Lucifer in the whole problem uh, process. So when it comes to that and you see something, you might have double reference. You ask yourself a couple of questions. Uh, what did this prophecy mean at the time it was given for the people to whom it was given? And is there some sort of future double reference in this prophecy? And so that will help you um, understand some things. Fourth, uh, there's something you need to know, too, about prophetic perspective. 
So the, the prophets were describing future events, and the way that they would see them would be sort of in a continuous, immediate order. Here's an example. Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, um, Jesus is um, in the synagogue and the scroll of the prophet is unrolled, I, that very same scroll, and um, it's handed to Jesus and he unrolls it and he says this, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it's interesting because Jesus stopped with the phrase to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the scroll and said the scriptures to that point were fulfilled in him in that day. But what he meant by that, he was fulfilling that prophecy. He was the one with God's spirit upon him to preach good tidings, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty, and open the prisons. But it's significant he stopped reading with the phrase to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He did not read the portion regarding the day of the vengeance of our God because the day of the vengeance of our God hadn't come yet. And since then and now, there's already been a gap of 2,000 years. So there's a gap. But when Isaiah was watching it from and looking into the future, so he sees this happening. He sees Jesus coming, but he also sees the, him coming back. But it looks like it's happening all at the same time to him. He can't tell from way back there. These big gaps of time, they can't see him. That's the prophetic perspective. So they often are seeing things, and they're talking about a period of time. And there'll be a gap, though, where we're waiting for the next part of that to happen. They just couldn't see from where they look at, it's like um, uh, it's like if you look at distant like mountain ranges, you see the mountain ranges, and but you can't see the big valleys until you're up on the next mountain, right? And then you can't tell from this side of the mountain there's a huge what the valley looks like or anything. So that's part of what's going on there. So um, so the prophetic perspective when you're reading it looks like they're recording things that are immediate and. Um, because they're, they're getting a revelation of the Holy Spirit of the whole plan of God. And so what Isaiah saw was Jesus coming to preach and bind up and proclaim liberty, open the prisons, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he saw him bringing the vengeance of God on his return. And so it's like mountain ranges, but um, the, the valleys are in there. So you just need to be aware of them that there are some gaps that happen as prophecies being fulfilled. And uh, those are pretty cool. So, and actually with, when, when I... That kind of wraps up that part of the study. But with that in mind, I figured the next course we're going to do is on the kingdom of God. And uh, we'll start that next week because it picks up there and talks about why these things happen and how it sort of fits and, and uh, sort of gives us a way to um, sort of hang on to the entire text 
uh, of the Bible and, and how it works today in the process. So, so we're going to move into that course next, but uh, I think I've given you a lot of stuff to work through and to pray about in that course. So right, we're going to end it right there for tonight. That's enough of that. So check those things out, and uh, that's really good. If you want something to look up, look up the Crimson Thread of Redemption and uh, see if you can read